Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast. This is the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And my name is Father Pete Mussey. Did I sound like a uh, auctioneer? Dude, I don't know what you said. <laughs> you, yeah, you kind of sound like the dude from the Micro Machines commercial, dude. How do you remember the dude? Come on, the dude the from, from the Micro Machines commercial? Yeah, do you remember Micro Machines? What a pull. That's like the pull of the year. <laughs> it is. No, I don't at all yeah. remember the guy from the Micro Machines commercial. Yeah, Micro Machines commercial, he like spoke really fast. He's like, like but like but he could be intelligible at like super high speeds. It I was, was not intelligible, was I? I mean, yeah, yeah, you were intelligible. What I was trying to say is that this is the Word on the Hill podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And my name is Father Peter Mutzad. And we are in the same room again. It's been a long time. It's it, been three weeks since we've been together. It's been three weeks, man. That's like really sad. Yeah, we apologize for last. I apologize specifically for last week. There were a number of times that I coughed into my mic. But it was on my head and I couldn't get it off in time before the hacks came out. So hopefully we didn't lose all of our faithful listeners because no. I hacked onto the microphone all podcast well you know um father joe doman listened to us for the first father time joe doman oh yeah, that from... was the one he chose to listen to <laughs> yes oh, actually there's a number of people who i was talking oh. to who said oh this was the first time i've ever listened to the podcast what a terrible week to tune in for the first time but they said the content it was, really was good, good. Yeah. well yeah the content was good but the forum was lacking yeah that's okay. and if the forum is lacking people aren't as receptive to the content quid quid recipitor recipitor so good to modem recipientes man you better believe it. That, that means that which is received is received according to the mode of the receiver. I actually did know that, but I didn't know the words. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're back together. Um, we're we're back excited. Together. We're really excited. We're both not. We're still not feeling well. No. I mean, we spent everything on that podcast and we're paying the price. It's, it's, uh, it's so true. you're welcome. I don't know what it is, but I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, you know why you're staying sick for so long with this flu, right? right. And I was like, why? And they were like, because you're old. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I was like, what? I was like ooh. That, you're not that old. No, but like, I guess age What are you, 51, 52? 78 years old <laughs> is really how old I am. Oh, dog years. If, if, if there was a term when I think that I'm finally old, I think it's at 78, man. All right. All the all the seventy nine year olds are cursing us. They're like, radio. they're like, my you silly kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we should get this show on the road. Right? Get this boat in the water. Get this plane in the sky. Get this. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's all right. Let's just yeah. move on. It is the third count them third Sunday of Lent. Dude. We have a great series of readings that fit together perfectly, like a glove, right? <laughs> Last night I was walking along and I looked up at the moon. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was like crisp and full, like an apple. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was tove. And it was it was a tove. And and uh, and so then I thought, oh, you know what? This is the last. We we have to wait for a full cycle of the of a, a full lunar cycle, and then we hit Easter. Oh, well, that's a good way to. I okay. Isn't that's that, how we. I, I'll set my watch by that. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that kind of cool? So this is the third yeah. Sunday of Lent, which means that we have oh, a, a lunar wow. cycle until we are ready for Easter. Okay. Well, that's that's actually kind of cool. I have no funny, witty, sarcastic response to that. <laughs> <laughs> really good work. Yeah. All right. Third Sunday of Lent. We are in the book of Exodus. We've moved on from Genesis, where we were for a couple Exodus. weeks. Movement of the people. Okay. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, the giving of the law. 
And and just for a note for those of you who are um, around the RCIA, um, for the RCIA, it skips to year A readings, and so um, really, yeah, yeah. So for the scrutinies, oh, when they go do the breaking open the word, no, no, no. For, even in the liturgy itself, so so you if you have the RCIA, if you're going to be doing the scrutinies, you do the uh, year A readings. Oh. Yeah, so you always have that option for the RCIA specifically. So, okay. So this is uh, yeah. your B, um, Exodus 21 through 7. Okay. And then then um, from there we go to the Psalm 19, um, 8, 9, 10, 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Um, our second reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And then uh, we put the cherry on top with the Gospel of Juan. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. The, the, and I, I just think that makes me smile. That makes me smile. What the does? Gospel of Juan. I like that. <laughs> oh, you're laughing at your own joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm genuinely um, delighted. And uh, it's chapter two, verses thirteen to twenty-five. You bet it is. Twenty-five. Is twenty-five. Live. Dude, did you see the preview for that movie, Chappie? The movie what? Chappie. <laughs> No, it just it sounds fake. It, it just, sounds like something you're making up. It looks like it's just like a redo of the movie Short Circuit, number five. Oh, I love Short Circuit. I love Short Circuit, dude. Me too. I, you know, you had love for number five. I remember my parents taking me to Blockbuster Video. I oh. chose Short Circuit every every time. Man, that's well. Number five is alive. Number five is alive. Yeah, dude, that is. Well, today, um, I have to say, you know, it, you guys have hit the mother load because, um, yeah, like if you were a minors uh-huh. right now, you would uh-huh. be doing the Eureka dance, which is okay. from the Greek word heurisko, which means I found it. So um, in case you're ever wondering about the etymological origins of uh, Eureka, it is actually from heurisko. Um, but uh, Scott Powell actually wrote, um, was, um, was um, uh, yes. uh, an excellent resource for uh, a study guide for Exodus. I wrote it. Yeah. I, you gave me like a, an accusatory look. I know. Because I'm not, I'm not, it's not my proudest work. Oh. It's one of those things, you know, you did it a long, I did it a long time ago before <laughs> I really knew what I was talking. And that was the point I was in my young. career where I was trying to convince everybody I knew what I was talking about, but I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so I look back at that study. It was for the Great Adventure Bible Study. It's good. And they, they cleaned it up. They definitely cleaned up what I wrote, but oh, it's okay. I would I would have done it better today. Well, see, that's that's why that you're making up for your mistakes now. Oh, yes. So let's let's talk about these 10 commandments, dude. Sorry, I don't get royalties if people don't buy it, though. Go buy it. It's the best thing that was ever written on the subject of Exodus. <laughs> you guys, it's awesome. Speaking of royalties, um, I would please participate in our sponsor, Verbum um, Software. I think Speaking that... of royalties. You If you use the coupon code LankyGuys at checkout, you get a, a sizable percentage off and you help support the podcast. Yeah, last week, I think it was last week, it sounded like I said 50% off, which is not true. But I don't know, people were like, woo! Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not yeah. 50. 15 was what I said last week. Yeah, that's... Um, but it is, I mean, we talk about this a lot. It is, it is great stuff. This is fantastic software. I use it for my dissertation. Father Peter uses it for his homily prep. Um, you we know, both you can, use it for the podcast. We both use it for the podcast. It's it's really great, uh, really user-friendly. Once you figure out sort of how all the pieces fit together, it's a fantastic tool. So, Super duper. We love it. Um, Verbum, check it out. And I just found out... 
Talk my, to me. I mean, I knew my college roommate, Lou St. Hilaire, um, worked for Verboom. I didn't realize he's like the number two over there. Mm. So shout out to Lou. I don't know if you, I'm sure he, he's too highbrow for this podcast. But, <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you know you have those people in your life. Now, I know we, we do, um, we're supported by Veriboom and we, we promote it. But, you know, there's those people in your life you're like, oh, man, if this person's involved, I'll take it. Whatever that person is involved in, I'm yeah. in. Lou is one of those guys that whatever he's involved in, yeah, I want it. Veriboom. It's good. So Yeah. It's cool. Anyway, so that takes us back to Exodus chapter 20. Now, this is this is a tricky week, Father Peter. Man, We're going to have to put some puzzle pieces together here. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you know that our whole principle is to try to find the, the linkages between these readings. Well, um, you're in for discovery <laughs> along with us this week. <laughs> well, this is fun because we've, we've, we've both studied. We've got some background in all these passages and what they're doing, but... I got to be honest, I don't understand how they fit together. So this is one of those ones where I'm hoping the Lord just kind of brings it together. They're all interesting in their own right. They really are all profound passages. But why did the church ask us to reflect on these together, this particular lunar cycle? (laughs) So we will find out. All right. So chapter 20, chapter 20 of Exodus is a really, it's a pinnacle moment. This is the moment that they're given the law. They're given the Ten Commandments. And just a word about the law. Yeah, because we talk about the law a lot in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and when people think about what, when, let me just, let me just take your mind out of the podcast for a second. I'm out of the podcast, and I throw the term Old Testament law at you. What's the first thing that comes to your head? Old Testament law. What do you say? Uh, circumcision. Okay, say something else. Old Testament uh, law. Old Testament law. Um, um, binding and heavy uh, burden to carry. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. So the reason I th- that little thought exercise. Um, when I say Old Testament law, I think for most people, you think of like all of the burdensome, hard, weird, strange, bizarre laws of like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And yes. circumcision actually came before back in Genesis. But then you have the kosher food laws and these laws, these animals are clean. You have to wash certain ways. That's what we think of when we think of law. At least yeah. I do. No, no, that me too. But here's the thing. There's actually two major sets of laws given in the Old Testament. Uh, okay. There's plan A. And then there's plan B, and we've talked about this before. Deuteronomos. Deuteronomos. Deuteronomy, the word itself means second law, right? Nomos means law, deutero means second. So second law. So it's literally plan B. There was a first law that was given, which is actually not burdensome, not toilsome, pretty intuitive. It didn't really need a textbook to explain these things to us, but the Ten Commandments are pretty straightforward. Don't kill people. Don't, you know, covet other people's stuff. Don't, don't um, commit adultery. You know, it, it's all pretty straightforward. So God gives this law. Israel shows that they actually can't handle a law that's this simple and this intuitive. So he has to heap more laws on top of it. But this is where we get the giving of God's original plan, plan A, the law, which is guidelines, marking posts to say, this is how you ought to be. This is what it means to be people. And a lot of these I mean, quite frankly, we didn't need stone tablets to tell us that these things are wrong. I love the story. Back, you remember Joseph? Not St. Joseph, but Joseph back in the Old Testament. The Genesis. technical color dream coat. Yeah, the dream. Te- technical color dream coat. That's the one. Cream coat. But he says, um, he actually says at one point, I remember when Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. Okay. And he says, basically, no, I can't do this. It'd be against God's will and God's law to, for me to sleep with another man's wife. What's interesting about that is that the Ten Commandments, one of which is thou shalt not commit adultery, have not been given yet. 
No one's given Joseph a stone tablet <laughs> that says, no, you're not supposed to commit adultery. He just knew. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. take rocket science. No. So these laws are just articulating what are already supposed to be written in our hearts, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's just, just a, a word about how these work. Now, another word that's really important about how, that they, how they're actually given because this is, I think, where we're going to... I don't know what the connection point is, but I think if there is one, it's got to be here. So again, we, we kind of know the Ten Commandments. They're listed here at the end. There is, by the way, a long version and a short version of this that you might hear at Mass. But Are the ones that are not included in the short version optional? <laughs> <laughs> that was really witty. <laughs> no, they're all included in the short version. Okay. Just the narrative is not included. Okay. But just to recap the story, we know the story, right? So Israel... <laughs> Will you stop it? I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, we're. I'm just happy to be back. This I'm is so happy. To have it's you hard back. to podcast on the road. It really is. Hard. Real hard in another country with the headset. Yeah. Um, what now? Okay, so Exodus. So we know the story, kind of, right? Israel's been in slavery for about 400 years in Egypt. Um, they're free. God works mighty, mighty works and these mighty deeds through the hands of Moses. Yay. They go out. They cross. <laughs> yeah, they cross the Red Sea. They see God doing these incredible things. They get out to the wilderness, um, and it, it, it's, I mean, this is literally days after they've been released from Egypt. Right? This is really kind of the first stop. Like if, if, yeah, exactly cause, right. Because he said, let us go out of the wilderness and offer worship and offer sacrifice. This is probably the place where they were thinking, like, okay, this is where we're going to offer some sacrifice. This is, this, is our, this is the destination. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it, it, so we've just had a manna came down from heaven a couple chapters before. Then we got the water from the rock. And then Moses set up a little court system. So now they're at the base of Mount Sinai where they actually stay for a long time. The rest of the book of Exodus, all the book of Le- Leviticus, part of Numbers, and De- all of Deuteronomy all happen in this exact same spot. So they don't leave here for a while, right? Oh, nice. But this is when they first arrive. And basically what happens is this. Sorry, I'm flipping through my notes because I, I, I want to make sure I get all the, the really important things. Um, what happens is, oh, see, talk for a second. I want to open my Bible. I want to keep talking. Say something interesting. <laughs> because I actually, what I want to do is I want to read after what we get in, um, in well, our passage here. Well, I think that there's there's something interesting about how um, how they're not exactly sure archaeologically where Sinai is. Um, Tom Smith, actually, I was talking to him and, and he had some really interesting, um, theories about he what's does. going on and like, uh, and, and specifically there's, there's a couple of guys who found a mountain that's like burnt at the top Yeah, it's cool. and like, uh, but it's not typically where people would show up because it's not the course that you would think of. No, there's a much easier way to get to, to get to the promised land. <laughs> than this one. This is not the most direct route, which tells you that God is doing something. This is probably um, the same place where Moses saw the burning bush. So Sinai and Mount Horeb are actually the same place. Oh. Sinai comes from the, the Hebrew word Sena, which means burning. Oh. So he named it that because it was originally called Horeb. Yeah. He sees a burning bush, changes the name to Sena, Sinai, goes back there. So, I mean, this is why he takes the people there. He's oh. like, oh, well, this is where I met the Lord. Surely he's going to give us the instruction here. So that's why they go there. Dude, I feel like you should do like a mic drop right now, dude. Boom. But okay, so here's what happens. So they go they go they get um the law, these 10 commandments, right? And then here's what happens. This is verse 18. So it's right after what we get in this reading. Now, when all the people my translation says perceived, but it's it's literally saw. 
when they saw the thunderings and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the smell and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Now, hold on a second. One of the things that's happening here, this is not when they get the stone tablets. That actually happens much later. And that's an important point because the, the Ten mm. Commandments are given twice. So at this point, they just showed up in the mountain and they all, everybody gathered, the whole nation hears the voice of the Lord booming out of the clouds and the thunder and the lightning on top of this mountain. And they're all hearing the Ten Commandments spoken to them. And if you read it, it carefully in chapter 20 in the Hebrew, it's all spoken in the second person singular. So what they're all hearing in their ear is not you all, you plural shall not murder, you plural shall not worship other gods. They're saying, hearing you, Peter Musset, personally shall not murder. You, um, Steve Baselli, shall not um, <laughs> cover your neighbor's goods. You know, whatever. But they're hearing it literally second person singular tense, which freaks everybody out. They all flip out. And then it says, after they heard all of these things being spoken directly to them, they go to Moses and they're like, we are freaked out. And they, it's verse 19. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. Basically, what they say is, we don't want God talking to us anymore because it freaks us out. It's too intense. It's, it's too intense. It's altogether too much. But we get this sort of uh, criticism sometimes in the Old Testament that why isn't God just talking direct? Why has there got to be this conduit? Why is there this intermediary? Can't God just speak to them? Well, he does. They ask for God to stop talking to them. It's too much. It's too much, which is, I think, a very interesting note that they they see. So let, let's, let's leave it with this. They see, and it, it says... Again, the Hebrew is weird because there's thunder and rumblings and noise, and it says they see it. They see the noise, which mm. is strange. Grammatically, it's really weird. Yeah, it's really weird. But they see it, and they're freaked out. They see what God is doing. They hear a um, a word of accusation in some sense. Not not, but like you have to not do this. Like this is important for you, and they cannot handle it. This is the first giving of the law. That's what it consists of. It's not this, you know, nice little pleasant here. Everybody's here's your law. Everybody go on your way now. It is a horrifying. I don't think they need to be horrified, but they see what the Lord is doing so and it freaks them out because it's so intense. It's so intense. And uh, but I think that's going to carry us to the gospel a little bit. Yeah. Right. Mm, I don't know. Let's look. OK, let's look. Let's... Anything to add on that? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> I think that the the seriousness with which uh, Israel ends up taking like these guy these these laws, yeah, um, is we can see that Christ actually really has to adjust what what the the meaning of them are. Yeah, ultimately, like because we, we're talking about the Sabbath to keep the Sabbath day holy. Six days you can work, but then it starts to come at you, and yeah. and and then all of a sudden that becomes the most important thing, not the spirit of it. It's just the the external yeah. the external observations totally of these rather than the the transformation of the heart, which is something that's just really important to to yes. remember is that we can follow rules on the outside and not actually be converted. Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. That takes us to Psalm 19, which, okay, now this is one of those ones, when I read this a while ago, I was thinking, okay, what on earth do we do with this? But then I, 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 I was actually studying Psalm 19 for a different context, for something else that I'm doing. Mm. And I realized, oh, and then I, so I was actually studying it, and then I realized, oh, wow, that's actually the reading for this week. I wonder if there's something to that. But Psalm 19 
It's an interesting psalm. A lot of scholars believe that Psalm 19 is actually split into two different psalms. So in some Bible translations, it's two separate psalms. In others, it's one continuous one, and there's a reason for that. Why? Well, um, the, and the response is actually from John, <laughs> which is just to kick us in the pants. Anyway, the, the response is from John, Lord, you have the words of everlasting life, which is very fitting with the first reading because he you, just gave the words. Directly. Directly. And and by the way, you know, in the Hebrew, it's they're not called the Ten Commandments. They're called, do you remember? Huh. The Ten Words. Oh. That's actually, that's what Decalogue means, the Ten Words. Oh. So they don't talk about, the Hebrews don't talk about these as commandments. They say these are the words that God spoke, which actually, sorry, lots of, there's so many neat things to this. Yeah. It corresponds. <laughs> Remember what in the in the very beginning when God created everything in Genesis 1? There's 10 times, exactly 10, when it says, and God said. And God said. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the light be separated from the darkness. And God said 10 times. So there's 10 words with which God speaks creation to being. Yeah. And then there's 10 words which with which God creates his nation of Israel, oh. so to speak. It's kind of cool. Wow. Lots of creation imagery. That's so speaking of cool. creation, Psalm 19, now we actually get the second half of Psalm 19, what some people call all of Psalm 19. But, but, but here's the thing, Psalm 19, basically Psalm 19 verses 1 through 7 about. Is that the heavens are uh, Heavens are telling the, the glory of God. God. No. And all creation is shouting for joy. That's not what the one. Come dance in the forest, forest and pee in the fields. Don't. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean that's not the one? Is that not the one? Um, the heaven proclaim the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth the work of His hands. Dan today takes up the story, and night up to night. And the firmament takes the. <laughs> the two are different, okay? Are they different psalms? No. What do you mean? No, you're, you're, no I don't the, remember. The first hold, hold line on. keeps you going, but the Psalm 19 a, um, uh-huh. one and two is like my favorite psalm. Okay. Well, it, it's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. it talks about the providence of God and how yep, yep, how yep, yep, everything. Telephone, telephone. <laughs> oh, oh, I love those guys. Oh. Dude, that was pretty sweet. The Let's not say what that reference is. Okay. Let's see if anybody knows. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Finish what you were saying. You were making a very good point. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, you just interrupted me. Can you Can I? that? Yeah. Did you interrupt yourself? I, no, no, you started yipping on me. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, yeah, I did, I did. Yeah, it just shows forth the providence of God, that creation is actually a sovereign expression of the Lord's love. Yes. And that there is a book, the book, you know, the fathers would talk about the two books of Revelation, the book of nature and the book of scripture. Yeah. And you need one to translate the other. Oh, really? The scriptures, you, I mean, especially the Psalms. The Psalms are chock full of of create n- nature metaphors yes the, what just man is like a tree planted by streams of water. if you actually don't understand what's happening in nature you're not going to understand what the just man is like or what the wicked man who's like chaff that blows you know yeah so the scripture assumes that you understand creation and creation can only actually be seen in its fullness if you understand the scriptures and the revelation of who god is so they need each other to actually interpret one another yeah this is what i'm doing a bible study with the focus crew on on the psalms and this is where this kind of came up. And I'm doing a class um, starting next week, if anybody's in the Boulder area, Wednesday yeah. nights. The 11th. Psalms. Starting the 11th, yeah, um, at 6 p.m. Um, but we were talking about this concept of Haggah. Have we talked about Haggah before? Do you know Haggah? No. It's the word that we, we commonly translate in the Bible as, as to meditate. Oh. But in the Hebrew, it's a much more full-bodied than that. So Haggah, 
Um, how do you describe Haggah? So imagine, here's a little thought exercise, which I stole straight up from Tom Smith. This is the Tom Smith hour, apparently. <laughs> but I stole this in a class of his once. Imagine right now, um, Father Peter, imagine a big bucket of crispy fried chicken. Oh, glory. That is Haggah. Glory. The sound, what you just did is actually Haggah. It's not just so we translate it to meditate. And when we think of meditating, yeah. you think of like, quietly sitting in your corner and like thinking about something mm-hmm. in the Hebrew sense. I mean, if, have you ever seen like a movie or, a, or a, something of a, of a, a, a real Jewish yeshiva where people, rabbis are like studying the Torah and they're like, oh, the, the and they're davening. rocking back and forth and there's sounds and they're groaning. That is Haggah. Mm. It's the whole body entering into a meditation in, for lack of a better word into God's word. Mm. So the whole of the Psalter starts with the just man meditate. He haggahs the Torah, the word of the Lord. Mm. If you jump to Psalm 19, what do you have? You have, and maybe it's King David. I like to imagine it is. But you have this person who's basically sitting and he's looking at creation and he's watching things like how the sun moves from east to west and it's consistency and it never stops and there's nothing in the earth that's actually hidden from the light of the sun. It's all encompassing. It touches everything. And it goes into this meditation on how beautiful and profound the universe is. Then there's a break and it goes into talking about the Torah and how steadfast and how consistent the Torah is. And scholars who just don't get it separate the two and like, oh, well, these are obviously two different Psalms because this one he's talking about nature. This one he's talking about the, the Torah. But no, what's happening is he's looking at nature. He's seeing the consistency of the sun, how it's all encompassing, how it touches everything, how it's steadfast. And he's saying, oh, that's like God's word for me. It too is consistent. It too touches every aspect of my life. It too is like the consistency of nature. That's Haggah. Mm. So he sees, and again, this is where maybe a connection point is to the first reading. The psalmist sees the profound power and beauty of creation. And through that, he hears God's word. But unlike the Israelites, he's receptive to it. And he says, oh, I need to hear this. I need to listen to the word that God is speaking through the rising of the sun and and its setting and the consistent path that it takes and everything else that I'm actually seeing. That is speaking to me, just like when the Israelites saw the thunder and the lightning and the wonders of creation. And they supposedly were supposed to see God's voice through that, but they shut themselves (laughs) off. The psalmist says, no, I see it. I see what they could not see in a certain sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a really profound image in Psalm. Yeah, it's really, it's it's tremendous. Yeah, it's cool. It's real cool. Mm. So I wonder if that's maybe one of the one of the points of connection for us, is this idea of, of seeing, meditating on the wonders of the natural world, which they're seeing in, in Exodus, and hearing God's voice through that, because that's how God tends to speak. Well, in, in this line, it says, enlightening the eye. Yeah. Because the eye is not merely just um, uh, uh, the, 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 my eyeballs. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like those yeah. who have ears ought to hear, those who have eyes ought to see, those who have yeah, yeah, a yeah. tongue ought to taste, and a nose ought to smell. I'm exaggerating. That's it. But like, I like but, that. Though. But the, this, this senses, enlightening the eye is this esteemative, this, this, this sense that's in the depths of the soul that actually brings it all together for understanding in the same way that the psalm is doing that same thing. It's taking Torah. But then when the Lord actually communicates directly to that, it's almost too much. We almost, as, a, as people, we kind of would rather put piece things together. 
we we uh, like like if you just give us something straight on the nose like just on the nose stuff is like really um is really kind of boring in the long run yeah no totally i think that's that's actually a really good insight you're right it is boring it's like And, and that's how we want god to speak to us like just tell me but no, that that's actually lame. That's boring. I I want the metaphor. I want to, I don't know. You I, you want pieces. It's like it's like the reason why the TV show Lost was so compelling. Yes, is that it, we love narratives like that. We love narratives to where we have you know prefigurements and fulfillments. We when we actually have clues that are that even go beyond what that experience is, and you have to go and you have to say like, well, what is the molecular structure of the Faraday cage? And you're like, ah, oh, like you know, <laughs> right. yeah, and so they just, you just throw a reference into that, and then all yes. of a sudden our yeah. intellects are engaged and. Yeah. And we're going like, oh, there is. And our memories are engaged, too, which is a very important aspect to understanding God's will and knowing his scriptures. Because you need memory. So using the lost analogy. Yeah. You need the function of memory. Yes. For that to work. You need to be like, oh, yeah, there was that thing 10 episodes ago where they said that one thing. And that actually fits. That's the only way you can read scripture is to read the psalm and say, oh, wow. Yeah, there was something kind of like that back in Exodus where that reminds me of this which which goes us back which propels us directly into the second reading which is talking us back yeah which talks about the jews demanding signs and greeks looking for wisdom right as if uh, you know but then christ stands in the midst of all of that both as wisdom and sign oh, my mic's down <laughs> that's why i can't hear myself sorry if i cut out there for a while Nah, we we could hear you were just a little echoey sorry wasn't there a guy named echo and Lost. There was a guy named Echo in Lost. He I was lo- pretty echoey. Echo was, oh, he was. He had a boomstick oh, for his echo. He had a boomstick. Okay, sorry. What now? Okay, so Jews demand signs. Oh, yeah, Greeks look for wisdom. Mean. We proclaim Christ crucified. So at the heart of this is, is, you know, we proclaim Christ crucified because really the crucifixion of Christ satisfies both the need for a sign and the desire for wisdom. Yes. But at the same time, it's so existential that in, in, and it's so in a, in a certain sense, it is like what we're talking about being directly on the nose. But you need so much to understand what the crucifixion really is. So like so as, as we're looking, I mean, I can see that you're trying to process what I'm saying. I'm just trying to put it together with the first two. Yeah. I mean, well, I, it makes you're sense, right. It makes sense with this kind of theme of like. Of like, okay, is there a is there direct speech? The direct speech we can't take it. We need, in some sense, we need to be able to put things together a little bit more easily. Maybe we're a little bit more Greek that way. I don't think Christ crucified is on the nose then, under that thing. I mean, it's not direct speech, because what what happens when Christ is crucified? You have this guy, who is nailed to a cross, bloodied, dies, is taken down, put in a tomb, and it's not like Christ. I mean, if I was Christ, which I'm not. Praise be to God. But if mm-hmm. I was, I'd pop up on Sunday and be like, hey, everybody, check it out. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, I would show everybody. Jesus doesn't show anybody. He appears to the disciples a couple times, a couple women, and then he vanishes out of everyone's sight. I mean, you'd expect him to come and say, look, everybody, I've been vindicated. You were all wrong. The yeah. Roman Empire doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. It's in the shadows. It's hidden. Mm. He doesn't make it explicit. I mean, he do- yes, he does make it explicit, but he doesn't make it this big, huge sign that the whole world can see <laughs> and have no doubt. <clears throat> he leaves room for doubt. He does. He does that on purpose. 
he does but and no it's a it's all according to type though like like yeah, but that's why I, I just mean it's not on the nose. Yeah, it is to some degree. That's all I'm arguing. Yeah, yeah, it's not totally on the nose. It's, it is a little bit under, and it, it's profound. I mean, I'm trying to bring creation back into this. It's not on the nose. You have to actually have the eyes to see it, because again, that's Paul's point here in First Corinthians. The Jews are looking for big signs booming from the thunderclouds. The Greeks are looking for what they view as humanly wisdom. Jesus is this guy who was claiming to be Messiah who died on a cross and was buried. And then rose again outside of everyone's sight in secret and rose up to heaven. That's not a good sign or worldly wisdom. It's actually more than that. But the beauty is if you understand the crucifixion, what happens, even the earth is crying out of the truth of this. The earth quakes. It shakes and there's... there's Creation understands what's happening, even if human eyes don't see it. Oh yeah, I mean, and and that's where the temple curtain is torn into the, yeah. the you know there's earthquakes. Here's a here's an interesting question that is fun to ask people, which is really like you have to be careful. You have to have good friends, but like um, you, asking the question of we are on a podcast, you know, why did Jesus have to die? Oh boy. You, you you just ask that of, of any everyday believer, and th- like this is what I'm trying to say is is that this is not on the nose. No. If you ask somebody why okay. did Jesus have to die, did Jesus have to die? That's that's the question the fathers of the church debated. Yeah. Some of the fathers of the church said it was enough for Jesus simply to become incarnate among us to save us. Now it's most appropriate that he goes all the way. Yes. And he dies and he takes on the punishment. The punishment for what? Our unfaithfulness. Yes. What other, what other punishments does he take on? Well, I mean, you could read, uh, well, what do you, I mean, literally what he takes on. Is, so, I mean, you have two groups of people that are put out in the Gospels. You have the group that reject Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus is going around through the Gospels. He's basically saying all of you people who are preparing for war against Rome, don't do it. That's the wrong battle to fight. This is not the battle God wants you to fight. They all say, no, we're fighting against Rome. We're not accepting you as Messiah. The punishment for anyone who commits treason against Rome is to be crucified. Jesus, number one, takes on the punishment of those who rejected him. But those who followed him, well, what happens to them? Well, they all go out, they proclaim the gospel, and most of them are crucified. So Jesus actually takes on the punishment of those who reject him in the gospels and those who accept him as well. So there's that. That's not what you're getting at, but no. I, one of the things that you can actually um, start to uh, understand through is the crown of thorns. Um, oh, so oh, I see where you're going. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> is that is that is that, um, is that Jesus? So we we know that the curses from the very beginning, from original sin, Jesus is actually taking to himself because of you. You're the ground will bring forth thorns and thistles. Yeah. So we oh. see see even in the moment d- during his crucifixion that he's taking on the curses that are the the proper punishments for sin all the way to himself mm. and and even the broken covenants so cross wow. my cross my heart hope to die stick a needle in my eye um and if i die before i wake take my pray the lord my soul that okay no, hold fit. on that's the, that doesn't <laughs> that's, that's not the, i always want to put you that you always on. do that i always want to put that on but like um the, he's taking on the the covenantal curses Yes. Um, all the way to the beginning. And so what, what's happening is that is that in the crucifixion, for br- the broken covenants, they had curses associated with them and the You're people right. bucked them. 
they 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 did not take them to themselves and so jesus takes that all because what's happening is that in the crucifixion itself the old covenants are dying like like they're broken because a covenant lasts only until death of one of one or the other parties of one or the other parties and so So which party dies both that's well that's the crazy that's the crazy part is that uh, God and humanity in Christ. But then he establishes the new covenant in his own blood, which is both human and divine. So he exactly establishes right. it uh, on behalf of both parties. But this is the thing is that that's both the nature that we were talking about before from Psalm 19 and revelation about who God is. And so we have that that joint. And that's actually where it's a direct speech to us. Yes, um, even though, even though it's not as on the nose, and you really does take memory and understanding not, and grasping of these things to be. It's able not self-explanatory, but it is on. It is. It is direct speech. It is direct it's speech. Direct but it's, speech, but it's not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but but you need to actually take time to understand what it means. Okay, so does that maybe that's the segue into the gospel? It is direct speech, but it takes a little time to understand exactly what it means because mm. we have a pretty. Um, strange gospel. Yeah. Okay. So okay. let's let's dive into this. So the gospel it's from John, and a couple weird things about this. This is the scene of um, the what do you call it? The uh, the 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 cleansing in the cleansing. temple. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word cleansing. Yeah, the cleansing of the temple, where Jesus overturns the money changers' tables and the tables of those who bought and sold pigeons and all this stuff. A couple weird things about this, though. Um, in all of the go- in all of the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do you remember where this scene happens in Jesus's ministry? Well, this is the th- this is the strange thing is that um, um, there are two occasions, if I can remember in my mind, where we have Jesus at the beginning. Um, this is like, like, is, does it happen at the beginning of the ministry or at the end of the ministry, right before he's crucified? In Matthew, us? Mark, and Luke, it happens at Holy Week. Holy Week. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm, I'm talking about the entire whole thing. Well, that's the question. So yeah, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it happens during Holy Week. Here in John, it happens it? at the beginning at of the very the, beginning of his ministry. So we have this question. Number one, there's a couple of possibilities. Is, some scholars say, well, John is just confused or somebody's confused. Is John moving the placement of this event to try to try to make a point, you know, and, and it's not making it untrue, but he's just rearranging some of the chronology mm-hmm. to stress certain things over other things. That's possible. Or is it actually possible that Jesus did it a couple times? Is it possible that he did it at the beginning of his ministry and he did it again at the end of his ministry? Because the one he does in the synoptics at the at, at in Holy Week, it's actually more a little more intense than this version. And what's more, what's even weirder about this version in John, where it happens at the very beginning, um, <laughs> when when he does all these things, and you know, he flips over the tables and does all the stuff, and he says, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples were called the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show for doing this? What sign do you have? Which suggests that he hasn't worked any signs yet. Which I think is an argument for it being it happening twice. So yeah. I think this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I don't think he's done much of anything yet. And I think everyone's like, who the snot do you think you are? Do you have signs to show? You can't just walk in here, flip over the tables. I think by Palm Sunday or by uh, by Holy Week and the, and the other Gospels, mm-hmm. everyone's like, okay, this has been building up. We know who this guy is. We might not agree with him, 
But we know who this guy is. He's been riling people up. He's been doing all this stuff, and now he's kind of culminating. Here, it's like, who do you think you are? What are you doing? Yeah, like, every, everybody almost takes it as an intellectual exercise. It's like, a, it's, yes. like a, it's a prophetic expression. They get it, though. I mean, they understand that, oh, he's doing something. Pre- he's not just ticked off and he lost his temper that day, which is, I think, how we read it a lot, which is the wrong way to read it. Jesus is God. He's Jesus. He every, and Not that he doesn't have emotions. Of course he does. But this is very calculated. This is not just Jesus lost his temper one day because he didn't have his coffee. Yeah, si- he, this is Passover, calculated. Yeah, since Passover was near, he decided that he would go into the <laughs> temple area. Right. And, and then he made a whip out of cords and he's like, this is what I'm about to do. Yes. It's it's not like um, out of the movie uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, where... Yes, exactly right. Where, which I watched that the other day. Well, and, of course you did. And, uh, and, and when, he's, when he's breaking down the temple area in that one, it just... There's like he's throwing guns around and stuff, and you're, <laughs> like, and he he like it's really goes Aussie, and you're like, he's wow, crazy in that one, but in that one, whereas, he's not, whereas, he's not great. whereas this one is just is a direct action against the buying and selling things in the temple and the temple regime itself. The other reason I think this is at the beginning of his ministry is that John actually gives you a timeline. Did you catch it? No, this is fun Bible trivia. Um, where he says he is, they're like, what sign can you show? Why are you doing this? And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What's their response? Do you see? Um, uh, This temple has been under construction for 46 years. They give you the time frame of exactly when this is happening. The temple renovations, which is what they're referring to. Yeah. The temple renovations started in the year 19 B.C. So if it's 46 years, if that was 46 years ago, Mm -hmm. but we know for a fact that Herod started the renovations in 19 B.C., then this would be the year 27, oh. which would place it at the very beginning of his public ministry. Yeah, because he... Well, and, and so we know where we are. Because he, Jesus, according to the celestial record, would probably have born, been born 3 BC. Yeah, exactly right. So that's that's totally sweet. It's kind of cool. Yeah. John gives you a little marker. And 27 is 3 times 3 times 3, by the way. Ooh, Ooh doggy. <laughs> but what's he, what's he doing here? So, I mean... Yeah, there's the famous line, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. But, but what is it? Think about the... Pro- so if this isn't just Jesus flipping out because he's ticked off, and he's actually doing something purposeful and calculated, which they seem to understand that he's doing. Yeah. What's going on? Well, so in the temple, at any given day, at any given time, there's constant sacrifice. There's a constant flow of animals into the priests who are making sacrifice, right? So people are buying and selling. And, and, you know, this isn't necessarily... We've talked about this before, I think. The fact that there is buying and selling of animals... And the fact that there is changing hands of money, that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Mm-mm. They needed to do these things. So, you know, they, they, there was good re- exchange, reasons for doing all of these things. Now, there was corruption and there was um, exploitation and there was raising prices and exploitation of the poor and things like that. But, I mean, it's not – sometimes we read this and we're like, oh, well, Jesus hates commerce in his father's house. I mean, if that's true, we should never sell Christmas wreaths in the narthex of the church no. or a grocery certificate. I mean, that's – it's a little slippery slope if we're like, no, we can never change money. Money can never change hands in the church. Mm, that's mm. not what's going on here. No, yes, there is corruption. They're exploiting people. And we should never, you know, we shouldn't charge 70 bucks for a Christmas wreath, you know, so that we can do something with them. You know, that that's okay, fine. But what he's saying is in doing this, what, if he's stopping the buying and selling of animals, the stopping of of exchanging money, that means in the temple for, you know, who knows, 20, 30 minutes, the time it takes to clean everything up, to round up all the animals, in those 20 or 30 minutes, what's happening inside the temple? 
Nothing. Nothing. All sacrifice ceases because Jesus has thrown the system into chaos. That's the prophetic sign. It's not that he's throwing around a bunch of animals and money. That's a part of it. But what he's saying is, look, all sacrifice someday will cease permanently. This little sign is going to be the mark of something that will permanently happen. This temple is shutting down business. And destroy it, and in three days I'll build it back up. Now, he knows he's talking about his own body, but he also knows that the actual brick-and-mortar temple will be destroyed as well. Why? Because you actually can't have two temples. Oh, because, um, yeah, and also the old temple is an indirect expression. Okay, tell me more. This is where I need you. Um, this is, so what's happening is that you have a whole priestly regime. Yeah. And you don't have direct contact. It's not like I'm going and I'm sacrificing like Abraham. Now, it's important to note, you're right, it's important to note, though, that God set that up. Because I think it's easy for people like us to read the Gospels and be like, oh, these stupid priests and the Pharisees, they're so terrible. No, God said it like that. Well, no, because it's an expression of what happened back at Sinai. Yes. Because at Sinai, they said they begged to have no further address made to them. exactly. They couldn't, and so so the Lord is like, okay, I'll put it on tablets. You know what I mean? Like yes. I'm gonna have an inter- I'm gonna have an intermediary. Then they beg for kings, and they're like, and they're like, you don't want kings. You don't like, and they start to stack all these things up, these 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 yes. buffers between them and God. Because in fact, actually, to be directly in contact with God is is a lot. Horrifying. It's really intense. You have got a terrifying job. <laughs> you hold God in your hands every day. I know that's horrifying. It's really intense, but rightly so. Yeah. And, and so what's happening oh, here is, the, is, is that Jesus is saying, no, this is actually going to be, there's, uh, there's a line, um, I forget where it comes from, it says, there's going to be no need for somebody to be teach, teach you about me because I will be there already on your lips and in your heart. I'm going to have a direct contact with you again. This is wow. my desire, but I've had to build this up so that you can understand so that you can you so you can see like the as the sacrifice like that's the thing is that we are priestly people we are brought into Christ yes there is a ministerial priesthood because you need a particular function of somebody who's conformed to Christ mm. who is in in that place to have that reality it's not a it's not mediation and then the way that um in the way that we would have it in the old testament where the priesthood is something even mm. separate but no the priesthood now is actually it is so conformed to Christ that that's actually functioning as Christ. Like, yes. So that we have only one mediator who yes. is the mediator of graces, which is, which is Christ. And so, so it, it's actually this process of putting us back in, in, in that experience so that as we look and we experience nature, as we experience things, it becomes all grace, all actually this direct voice of God trying to be in contact with us. So what Jesus is doing in the Gospel of John is showing that he's taking us back to plan A. Oh. To go back to what we were talking about at the beginning yes. of the podcast, yes. that's our connection point. Mm. Jesus is saying, look, the time is coming that we're going back to the beginning. We're going back to plan. We've been living in plan B for too long. There's been too many in-betweens. Now, human beings, the the veil will be ripped open because you have access. That's what Paul says in Romans 5. You have access to this grace in which you stand. You've been standing in the midst of grace, but now you can access it. You can reach it. That's why he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love that imagery. You can now reach up and grab what's always been there, but you were too afraid to have. Yeah. And now this temple's going down because you get access. That's what I'm talking about. That's our connection. Boom. Neat.
<laughs> cool. Well, y'all, that was that was fun to that was fun to rock that with that you. Was fun. This is fun. I like this, and and uh, man, I I just I can't get over how this really is totally part of that homiletic directory that they put out. That's cool. Um, for the these priests, so priests that you're listening, just know that. Pope Francis likes it when you listen to the lanky guys. <laughs> he does. That's what he said. Dude, Pope Francis, I think he listens to the lanky guys. Wouldn't that be do you know how like I think I I think I would be very uncomfortable if I uh, oh, knew yeah. that he was listening. Oh man. What if he invited us to the Vatican and said, Hey, would you just give me a scripture study on some stuff? What if he wants to be on the podcast? Dude, deal. He has to go to the basement though. <laughs> <laughs> we could do one from the Vatican if we had to. Okay, yeah, I mean I would be okay with we'll that. We'll do it. <laughs> All right, we got to go, everybody. You guys are awesome. Thanks for uh, yeah, thanks for watching. We'll be back next week. Brand new episode. Um, check out Veriboom, veriboom.com. Link you guys is the coupon code. And send us an email. Send us an email. Find us on Facebook. Pin us on Pinterest. Pin us on Pinterest. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Okay, you guys are awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.